Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-fiving friends. I'm so excited you're here and have an amazing guest who we've actually chatted with before. We are going to chat with Alan Questel again. He has taught thousands of people in over 20 countries on five continents. He was trained by Dr. Feldenkrais, and he has created numerous Feldenkrais programs on very topics, including one for pregnant women, pregnant pauses. He is the author of Creating Creativity, Embodying the Creative Process, and he's also the author of Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness. Um, which we talked a lot about last time. So welcome to the show again, Alan. Thanks for having me again. It's really good to see you again. Yeah, you too. So I would love if our listeners didn't get a chance for to listen to the last episode, just you sharing a little bit about um, kind of what brought you here and what you're all about. Okay. So uh, I used to be an actor many, many years ago. And I had a construction business and I hurt my back. And I found this work called the Feldenkrais Method, which, to be honest, I didn't think much of it when I was experiencing it, except at the end, I had no pain. Mm. And I got really interested in it, and so interested in it that I thought I could do that part-time and continue to pursue acting. And I was fortunate to get in the last training that Dr. Feldenkrais taught, and that was a long time ago, 1980, and I studied for four years with him and his assistants. And then I started teaching, and I very quickly got busy and had a full practice. And acting kind of fell into the background, because even though I've worked with some well-known people, this was a lot more consistent. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it led me to writing one book on creativity and to this second book, actually, on practicing intentional acts of kindness and like yourself more, and that program for pregnant women. So it's been a big influence in my life as it continues to be too now. I love that. I like that kind of this idea of pain or chronic pain brought you to um, the Feldenkrais method. I think that that's something that is such a challenge for so many people, but we don't really talk about because there's not a whole lot of Western medicine or well-known things that kind of help with chronic pain. So I think that's kind of a interesting thing that brought you and, and was healed or Fixed yeah. by Dr. Feldenkrais. Well, you know, I mean, I think the, the Western domain, it does offer us some things. Mm -hmm. I usually end up seeing the people who that didn't help. Mm. And, you know, if, and it's true, too many people are in pain. Too many, it's not old people, it's young people I meet mm -hmm. who are in pain. It's really kind of like, life shouldn't be like that. And uh, I guess the one question, it's probably one of the more significant questions that I ask someone if they're in pain is, is it sometimes better and sometimes worse? Hmm. And if they say, and almost, it's rare that they say it's always the same. Mm -hmm. So if it's sometimes better, from my point of view, you're doing something different that you don't know that you're doing. And part of my job then is to help discover on, on Veil, what are you doing that you don't know that you're doing that you could be responsible for and have volition over and not have to go see someone else for it, that you can control what causes your pain. So it's a, it's a, and it's a doable thing for sure. 
Yeah, I, I like that perspective. I think so often, like with pain or challenges in our life, we feel like we're not the experts and we start to sort of look outside ourselves for the expert to fix yeah. us. Um, so I love that perspective of like, I've never even thought of it that way of like, if it's different, sometimes what else are you doing? What a yeah. an interesting question to ask yourself, right? If you're, if you're dealing with some chronic pain. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to kind of dive into before we talk a little bit more about the other books is the Feldenkrais method. So can you share a little bit about what that is and what that looks like? Yeah. So there's two modalities in the Feldenkrais method. The first one that Moshe Feldenkrais developed was functional integration. And he had destroyed his knees as a young man playing soccer. And he couldn't figure out why some days his knees hurt, some days one hurt, some days the other, some days neither. So it's the same question we were just talking about. Is it different sometimes? And he became his own laboratory and started exploring and trying to understand more fully what was he doing differently on the days that his knees didn't hurt. And he was a physicist, an engineer, one of the first Westerners to get a black belt in judo, a, re a real Renaissance thinker. Mm -hmm. And the on the days that his knees didn't hurt, he discovered he moved his pelvis differently. Mm -hmm. So then he went on to be able to function more and more. He did encounter challenges, and then he had to figure out, well, how do I get better at this function, this ability to do something? And like I said, he went on to get a black belt in judo at a time where very few people knew about judo. Mm -hmm. Now, functional integration is a hands-on method where I work with someone on a low table, they're fully clothed, and it's very, very small movements because I'm really looking to interface around the beginning, the initiation of an action. So instead of adding new information on a, a habit that's not serving us, we're trying to get below that and build things up from a different foundation. And what I do with a child with cerebral palsy or someone who had a stroke or someone who has back or neck or knee pain or a professional athlete or dancer, it's actually the same idea, which is to get movement to translate more effectively through one skeleton. So the skeleton is the part of our, in movement, is the part of ourselves that bears weight and transmits force. Mm. And we underuse that and overuse our musculature. So the hands-on method is a quiet deconstruction of the muscular habits so that movement can happen more easily through someone. And then Feldenkrais was practicing that for a while, and he thought, well, look, I can only touch so many people in a day. So he, de he developed another process called awareness through movement which is a class, it's taught verbally, and their movement sequences are guided through verbally, and they affect changes in breathing, posture, range of motion, change in self-image, and um, that, that, that's the place where I really started to understand how to like ourselves more, mm -hmm. by moving in a way that we like the way it feels. So that was a, a real connection there for me to understand that. And the Feldenkrais method, it's, you know, I teach, Fortunately, all over the world, I travel a lot. And um, most of my time now is spent training people to become Feldenkrais practitioners, which takes four years. Mm -hmm. It's a long process. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's taught in many universities and acting schools, theater schools, um, music schools, dance schools. And uh, hopefully it'll become more and more part of the curriculum of other modalities too. Absolutely. So the quick version. Yeah, I think that it shows just how much power is 
in kind of our bodies that we don't even think about. Like, you know, even when you're talking about movement, um, we do hyper fixate on the idea of like how our muscles constrict and blood flow and all of that rather than anything to do. I have never thought about how my skeleton has anything to do with movement. So um, I love that. And I think that too, that, you know, the idea of how to move is starting to shift in different ways. Like I know in counseling, we talk a lot about like somatic movement and how we're right. using, you know, so similar idea, but different as we're talking about, but similar in the sense of like paying attention to what you're doing, paying attention right. to how you're moving your body. And I yeah. think that's what a little bit about pregnant pauses. I wanted to ask you about this um, yeah. idea um, is movement for moms, correct? Yep. 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 So for pregnant women who, um, you know, uh, many years ago, I, I, I got this idea because I worked with many pregnant women during the pregnancies mm -hmm. in the private work. They were also in my classes. In the private work, it was kind of fascinating because by the second or third trimester, they come in the next week and it's like a different person. Mm. It's like starting all over. It was like I mm -hmm. could apply everything again and I had a different response to it, different meaning to it. And um, I, I really thought that this was a, a really a community that would really benefit from the Feldenkrais method in terms of both getting more comfortable in their bodies during the pregnancy, but also taking care of themselves in a different way. And hopefully that taking care would further its surface of taking care of their child as well. Mm -hmm. So pregnant pauses. And actually, to be honest, at the time, I had the idea to do a second one to the grandparents to help mm -hmm. them get up and down from the floor. But the first one cost so much money, I stopped there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but fair. It, it's true. I mean, the pregnant women who do it, 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 it really, like when we were filming it, we hired eight pregnant women. Mm -hmm. And we paid them to stay there because pregnant women could just say, I'm going home. I'm done for the day. No, no, you're staying here. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating to hear their conversation so much so that we started filming them mm -hmm. because of all the differences that they felt were substantial, I would say. Mm -hmm. yeah. I believe it. My goodness. I think that's such a benefit to talk about because I know for, for me, at least like pregnancy was miserable. <laughs> and I think that, some, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think for so many women, it's like, we're supposed to enjoy it or supposed yeah. to like, you know, just the discomfort or like all these things is a normal piece of it. Um, yeah. And I think that was such a hard part for me is like, I just felt like I couldn't get comfortable in my body. So I love that, you know, there is something that is focused on helping right. moms like you said, take care of themselves and hopefully their child in a different way. I think yeah, that's a really definitely. cool idea. Yeah. 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 Thanks. yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other one that I wanted to talk to you about is your other book is kind uh -huh. of this piece about um, creating creativity and embodying the creative process. And I feel like we kind of talk about creativity a lot in different aspects of our life, but it's never something that, I feel like we put a lot of effort into, in in yeah. my opinion. I mean, I think in different, like, you know, different, more like artistic um, jobs and employment you do. But if you're not necessarily in a job that you're creating art or creating products or different things, something that kind of goes on the back burner. So I'm curious if you could talk about like creativity in our lives and then how, what it really even means to embody yeah. the creative process. Yeah. So the first thing, what you said about putting a lot of energy into it, 
to a large degree, actually, a lot of people do put a lot of energy into it and don't succeed, though. Mm. They don't feel creative. Mm -hmm. Here's a question I ask. Every time in any group that I talk about this, I ask this question. I said, raise your hand if you're creative. And I see three things. Some people's hand shoots up. Some people's hand kind of wanders into the air. And the rest of them look down. Mm. They don't even raise their hand. But then I ask another question. I say, so let me ask you another question. Do you know someone who you think of as being really creative? And everybody raises their hand. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? So the difference as I see it is actually very simple. When I think of someone who I think of who's more creative than me, what I realize is they see choices that I didn't see. Hmm. It's really simple like that. I go to visit someone's house and they have a Chinese parasol put upside down as a light fixture. And I go, oh, that looks so cool. And I think I would never think of that. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, then we compare ourselves and make ourselves less. But if you think of someone as more creative, for sure, someone thinks of you as being more creative. Mm -hmm. And people, I think, have a very mistaken idea of what it means to be creative and certainly mistaken about being in the creative process because I think we confuse creativity with inspiration. So yeah. that feeling of being inspired, and, oh, this is great. So now the thing is, any artist I know, any performer I know, they get creative in that moment of inspiration, and it lasts not very long. Mm -hmm. And then what you're left with is the drudgery, the work to enact, to create what you envision, mm -hmm. to make that something real. And the funny thing about that is it's almost never what we imagined it to be. You know, like in the books I've written that they start out somewhere. And I'm not telling the story. I'm writing something more concrete that's applicable to people's lives. But still, the river led me in directions that I went, how did I get here? And sometimes I'd have to swim back or, you know, find my way back. Or sometimes I go, this is a good avenue to pursue. So I'm going to keep doing it like that. Mm. And the idea of creating creativity, by the way, that book, this, this may not sound so kind, but I was an actor, so I can say it. It was originally about acting in the Felder Christ method. Hmm. And then as I was writing it, I thought, you know, like if, if a musician or a dancer gets some extra money, they'll take a class. Hmm. But if an actor gets some money, they'll go out to dinner. Hmm. <laughs> and I, actors have no money. Let me make it more broad for the creative process in general. And of course, it works accurately in the same way for that. And the, the process, when we ask like, what is creativity? So my simple definition, it's being able to generate choices. Hmm. And in one acting school I taught in New York for a, while, for a while, one of the acting teachers was Mike Nichols. And he's done a lot of movies and Broadway shows and stuff. And, and he talked about his favorite actors and actresses to work with. And they were Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. Hmm. And what he loved about working with them was every day they came in with more and more choices. Hmm. He said, I didn't have to do anything. I just could pick one of their choices and let them go do that. You know? So now when we talk about creativity, again, most people think of it as something grand, mm -hmm. like the actors, dancers, musicians, we see stuff like that. But I think it's more important to consider it on an everyday level. 
But then we come to the definition. How do we generate choices? So I started explaining the Feldenkrais method a little bit before. When people hear that it's a movement modality or a movement technique, they immediately, and understandably so, because that's how we grow up in our culture, they go to trying to understand the correct way to move. Hmm. One thing that we're really clear about on the Feldenkrais method is we're not teaching the correct way. We're teaching more choices. So depending on your abilities and your structure, depending on the context you're in, who you're with, depending on your intention for that day, you might choose to act one way or choose to act another way. Mm-hmm. So it's not about correcting something. It's about generating more choices. And the idea of embodying the creative process is just that, that in the book, I talk about different concepts throughout the creative process. And then I look for a movement experience to give you that understanding in a felt sense mm. to understand something. Now, you know, I, and I can tell you, like, one of the places where this kind of, the seed was planted for me, because when, when I was in acting school, I went to a conservatory that I had to audition to get into. And most of my experience at that time, my parts were pretty big, you know, and then I got a part in Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. And the part was Yakov. And <laughs> even anyone who knows the seagull does not know that part. <laughs> He's a servant with six lines. <laughs> That's it. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's one scene in the play where Masha and Medvedego are at the forefront of the stage. And on the back of the stage, Yakov is building a stage for a play within the play. And then at some point, I interrupt their conversation just for a moment and go back to it. So... I'm doing this, right? I hear my cue, and I'm hammering, and I go, ow, and I hit my thumb, and I go running out, and I go, oh, excuse me, and I come running back. And then they start the scene again, and they're going through it, and I hear my cue again, and I come out laughing like I heard the funniest joke in the world, and they're kind of like puzzled. And the third time I come out, and I come out, and I drop something, tripping something, and I fall, and they're like, and now the director starting the scene from my entrance each time to see what else I'll come up with. I'm mm. chasing a bee. Uh, I, I'm, I'm throwing something. I'm, I'm always doing something different. And that was the seed for me to understand that being creative is generating choices. Mm. There's one other thing we have to understand. I have to get this quote right. Um, it's an anonymous quote, and it says, creativity is making mistakes, and art is knowing which mistakes to keep. Hmm. And I love that quote because it mm-hmm. really speaks to it. It's not that everything you create is going to be clever or good or worthwhile, but once in a while you land on something that you go, not bad, not bad at all. So. Wow. Yeah, I feel like that's a great quote. I'm just kind of thinking about it of, you know, I look at it in terms of, even like success and failure, right? Like we, we kind of have it in that sense too, of like, you're going to fail multiple times until before you succeed. Same idea. You have to figure out like which one you're going to succeed with or which idea, but I love that you shape it in such a different way of creating choices. I think that's such a tangible way for us to, um, oh, sorry. I, uh, I think it's such a tangible way, um, for, people that, like you said, are not in those artistic spaces to really say, hey, wait, I am being creative. 
Let me see how I'm creating these choices in my life um, and in the daily kind of in their daily jobs and things like that. Like as you're talking, I'm sitting here being like, wow, I, you know, I'm actually pretty creative in my day to day as a counselor with, you know, choices of how I show up to sessions. And it's just kind of an interesting perspective and also kind of an exciting way to own your own creative process. Like you're saying of like embodying that piece. Yeah. And, And it's creating, you know, you talked before about how, how we, um, give over our authority to other people, like around pain or something Mm -hmm. like that. We do the same thing with creativity, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was in junior high school, I tried to join the choir, and they wouldn't let me in because of my voice. I can actually sing a little bit. And then in high school, I was in a play where I had to sing, and my aunt was an actress, so it was Mm -hmm. kind of an allowable profession in my family. Mm -hmm. She came up to me later and said, don't don't sing. Don't sing. Mm -hmm. And... But years later, I was in another play where I had to sing, and I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And actually, I did really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these, the question then becomes, how do we become our own authority? Mm-hmm. Whether it's in terms of listening to a prognosis or a treatment plan for pain, what really feels right to us inside? Because so many people go on to these plans and end up feeling worse, but that, that they said I should do it, so I have to keep doing it. The same thing with creativity. If anyone tells you, you're not creative. They are not creative. Mm. Because a creative person would have the, the ability to see the, creative, the creativity in any person they're talking to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's huge. It's like, you know, I think we talked last time about starting with something small in terms of liking ourselves, like mm-hmm. just brushing our teeth well. Mm-hmm. Right? Something that no one knows about. Do that. Get a plan. Take care of it. Put it in different parts of the house. Look at your house and say, is that where I want things to be? Mm. Now, I have a pretty good sense of that, but not too long ago, maybe a year ago, I had a friend from Colorado visiting me, staying at my house, and and he's a developer, so he does a lot of stuff with buildings and stuff and co-op condos and things. And he said, you know, I have this idea that the couch might look better there. And I was like, no, 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 it's it's a curved couch. And it sits in front of the fireplace, and that's where it belongs, you know. And then when he went out, I moved it. I can't tell you how much better it was. <laughs> so you can just see it was another choice that I didn't think of. Mm-hmm. That, And everyone who comes to my house goes, well, it's different. This is much better, <laughs> you know, so they see things like that. So for someone to become creative, one of the first questions that they can ask themselves in any situation is that, Am I fixed on my belief right here, or could I possibly see it another way? Mm. And it doesn't mean that I choose the other way, but to practice creating other choices, seeing them, seeing what happens, you know. And I've, I've seen people, I, don't, I think that they were always creative, but they finally acknowledged themselves as creative mm-hmm. through that process, which is much more important. It's like a pregnant woman, too. Mm. You know, in the pregnant pauses, there's two lessons that, that involve rolling. And, and the first one is a very easy, gentle kind of rolling. And after doing that, the, the women came back and were like, I can't believe how much easier it is for me to roll in bed. Mm. It's like, how did I not know how to do this? Mm-hmm. Right? The second one, it starts out easy and it becomes a very active way of rolling. And I had mothers in the eighth month 
saying, I felt like I was in the Cirque du Soleil. I didn't know I could move like that and be pregnant. And you can, if the choice is afforded to you, if you have enough information to understand how to do it. Mm. And that's, that's a pretty powerful thing for someone's self-image. Yeah, absolutely. As we're kind of talking, I'm thinking about how much overlap these all have with the creative process and liking ourselves more and giving ourselves those choices. They really do. And I love that you brought that piece back of like, you know, brushing your teeth as a act of kindness to yourself, right? Because it's something so small. But again, like you said, if we start with something so small, like a little bit of a rolling motion, if you're pregnant or, you know, the plant, like you mentioned with creativity, it has such a big impact on yeah. ourselves. And like you said, our self-image or how much we like ourselves or really kind of just this idea of who we are and how much yeah. power we have. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, it, we just need to, I think there's two things that, that are significant. One is that we need to remind ourselves that it's okay to start small. Mm. Not to have too big a goal. You can have a big goal, but put the, if you do, put it way in the future. Start small. What can I accomplish this week? What can I do? And along those lines in doing that, it takes courage, mm -hmm. right? It takes courage to maybe ignore the voices of other people, our family and friends who say, oh, you can't do that. You'll never be any good at that, mm. all that kind of stuff. And to take a step outside of ourselves, because what's the worst that could happen? So, so you fail. So it didn't work. So you made a mistake. Try again or not. Maybe mm -hmm. you do give up. I don't know. You know, can, can I, can I uh, share something with you that I think relates to courage? Absolutely. It, it actually, it's from my, it's about my other book, Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness. So at one point, I was hanging out with my friend who did the illustrations. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he said, you know, your book has no forward. Mm. And I said, I know, I've been just trying to get it out and I haven't had time and then I don't know who. He said to me, how about the Dalai Lama? And I went, what are you, crazy? <laughs> Dalai Lama? How would that happen? So some months later, I was talking with someone else, and she was talking about her experiences with Dalai Lama. And I thought, hmm. So it had to, it had to cook for a while in the end. Mm -hmm. And then I went online, and sure enough, his address and email and telephone number was online. So I thought, what the heck? So I, I wrote this letter to him, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a continued story right afterwards. To His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I write to you with the utmost respect and admiration, with a request, if it's something you think would be of value in bringing more kindness to the world. I just published a book called Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. Many ask me if it's about compassion and empathy, and I say, of course. I tell them it's also about concrete ways to generate more kindness towards others and ourselves, things we can do every day to create a kinder world. You are part of the final chapter of kindness and spirituality. I've included a copy of this book along with this letter. Back to my request. Asking with as much courage and humility as I can muster, with the understanding that it's likely too unrealistic, too large a request, realizing that before I even ask that it's not possible for you to fulfill it, is you must receive many requests like this. 
and also knowing that it's only in asking that there is the small chance that you could fulfill it. My book has no forward. Could you possibly write a forward for my book? I'm a little shocked at my own request. You do not know me. How do I have the nerve to ask such a thing from someone who represents so much to the world, yet here I am humbly asking you for the benefit of others? Of course, reading the book is with the intention that it is for the benefit of others. But I'm not so naive to not acknowledge that it would also be a benefit to me. So even if you gave me a few words that I could add as a forward to this book, I would commit to giving half of all the profits from my book to any causes or charities that you think would most benefit from a financial contribution. I thank you in advance just for reading this letter. Any response at all would be a great gift for me. And if you're so inclined to write something for me, well, I really have no words to express my thanks. Other than if it helped even in a little way to bring more kindness into the world, it would bring me joy and great satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So I sent that letter in the book and I waited some months. I didn't hear anything goes to India. And the mail in India can be a little dicey sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some months later, I emailed him with PDF. And I didn't hear anything. And then some months later, I was reading the letter on another podcast, actually. And the guy who was doing the podcast, he kind of busted me. He said to me, so uh, you haven't heard back? And I said, not yet. And he said, well, since you were going to donate half of it to his causes, why not donate half of it anyway? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of 23, I donated half of the profits to different causes. Mm. And I'm going to write him again and keep bugging him mm-hmm. and saying, look, you, you, you lost out on the profits from last year, but there's more to come, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, and I, I share that story because I think it takes that kind of courage. So whether it's being kind to yourself and others, whether it's about being creative, being courage in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something a woman has never experienced before, and you have mm-hmm. to be great. You can't change your Well, hopefully you can't change your mind, right? I mean, it's something, you know, there are stories of women during birth actually screaming, I've changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, you cannot at that point. <laughs> like, nope. Yeah. That's irreversible. So, and like I, you know, so all these things I think are deeply tied together. And then it's the practice of it as well. And, uh, yeah. So. I feel like I could keep listening to you talk. And I know I said this last time. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I think what you do is so impressive. And, you know, as I'm sitting here listening and seeing it all kind of tied together in the story of courage, um, I think it's humbling too, because I think that we get so fearful, like you said. Um, mm. But when we do take those steps of courage, even though they seem small, um, amazing things happen, right? Like I don't have a crazy popular podcast, and yet I've got to speak with you twice. And you know, you're traveling all over the world teaching these amazing methods, and you're writing books and things like that. But even saying, "Hey, I think it'd be cool for you to be on the podcast. Would you enjoy having a conversation?" That was courage for me, and it yeah. perfor- gives you a lot of choices. So I just think um, yeah. it's full circle what you said. It's just yeah, and, really and you amazing. know, when you when you describe me like that. I'm just another little person. <laughs> yeah, 
I am. You're writing writing letters to the Dalai Lama over here. That's yeah, a letter. I didn't respond. <laughs> I What's the big deal? True. You know? I'll tell you something. During COVID, so I talked to you about the classwork of the Feldenkrais Method. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that went on to Zoom. Mm-hmm. And Zoom is not my favorite yeah. medium. I can do it. And, you know, I, I actually graduated a group. I had set up my office with five cameras and a switching box. And, and I thought, well, this isn't my thing, really. And I teach some on Zoom. And then one of my colleagues was teaching on Zoom. He was getting like 300, 350 people. Mm-hmm. So not, not only was it a lot of people, it was a lot of money, too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and people said, you should do this. You have a great mailing list. And I went, I don't really want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it was actually a, a big awakening for me because that's the kind of thought I could sit with and really trouble over, mm. you know, make myself unhappy and thinking I should be something other than I am and stuff. And, you know, I, I do have a great fortune in being able to interact with a lot of people all over the world. So mm-hmm. I've taught thousands of people. That's impressive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, is it millions of people? No, I'm not. Brad Pitt, you're not Angelita Jolie, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 those people influence or can influence millions of people mm-hmm. just from what they wear on a, on, a, on a TV show or something. Everyone wants that. And then I thought, why do I have this idea that I should influence that many people? Because mm-hmm. our culture promotes that. And right. how many likes do you have on Facebook? I counted once. I'm one of, I'm on a birthday, how many people wished me happy birthday? I was so mm-hmm. thrilled. And then I realized I didn't know half of them. Mm-hmm. And then the next birthday, I was worried that they wouldn't write again. Mm-hmm. And I finally thought, can we be satisfied with who we are in this moment? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a woman in the pregnancy, even if they're struggling a little bit to go, okay, it's a little uncomfortable, but there's something better going to come from this. Mm-hmm. If it's in a creative moment of, I actually had a creative idea today. Mm-hmm. But don't go into, well, when's the next one going to come? And it's one mm-hmm. of you. It's like, that's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Right? Or I'm being kind. Or like all of these things are, to me, intrinsically tied together. They come out of me to some degree. And, and of course, I, I, I think they're all part and parcel of a, a healthy life, mm-hmm. you know, a healthy self-image and liking themselves more. So, Yeah. I agree. Well, Alan, I know we're getting tight on time, but I have enjoyed our conversation again so much. I am so grateful for you coming on. Um, And to our listeners, I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable and love that you spent it here with us today. Um, I'm, of course, going to put Alan's information in um, the episode notes so that you can get a hold of him and follow all the amazing work that he is doing. And again, Alan, thank you so much. Thank you. And Maybe we'll get a time to talk again in the future. Who knows? Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.